You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, great to be with you guys as we are continued to be scattered and yet connected on this Sunday together. This is a cool Sunday for us because this represents um, our birthday Sunday. So on Wednesday, August 19th, 2007, Um, We started Resonate Church, so this 13 years that we get to celebrate on this Wednesday. And so just want to reference that and just want to point back to that as this incredible moment because 13 years ago, we were just trying to figure out this whole thing. There was a group of people that were desperately passionate for God to be able to move in a significant way that began to see the campus as a place that God wanted to do something on and begin to try to figure out what would it take for us to rethink church and to be able to do something that actually had an impact on this campus. Campus. And so we began to take our very little knowledge and our very little resources and begin to point it towards planting a church. And so as we think about 13 years ago this week, we were trying to tell thousands of people that there was this new community, uh, this church that was starting. And um, to our surprise, those thousands, um, many of them came and uh, they came on a Sunday and they visited so many that we filled up the room that we were in. And we're overwhelmed by God's faithfulness to be able to uh, allow people to hear this this vision and to be able to join alongside. In fact, at the very beginning, one of the things that we wanted to do on our very first Sunday was not tell anything about our vision, not say where we were going or try to paint this great picture about what we thought God was going to do, but simply faithfully say, this is who God is. It's here to worship. This is what we're all about. And amazingly, people decided to come on this journey with us. And over the last 13 years, we have seen God do incredible things. We've seen God do only God kind of moments where his power has been displayed. And now we are in more than just Washington State University, but we are spread across Oregon and Idaho and Montana, and now recently up into Canada. And we're so excited that God continues um, to have people that are desperate for God, asking for the campuses and communities across the Northwest to be connected to the gospel in a way that transforms them. And so we get to celebrate this this week, 13 years of an incredible story, an improbable story of Resonate Church and God's work in this. And so we are excited to be able to see him continue this story as we go forward. But this is 13 years for us as a church. Say a little little cheer right now wherever you're at because, uh, man, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. This week, what we get to do is we get to take Um, some of those very essences of the people that started this thing and what really drove them. And we get to look at that and begin to say, what does that look like as we begin to point that into this moment right now? In fact, today we're going to be talking about really um, what happens when Jesus' people are in the world and it's a messed up world and really are we ready for it? And so we're going to go to a place in Scripture Uh, that I've always wanted to preach, but I've never preached this scripture before. It is a single, single verse, and it is embedded, and it's obscure, and it's one of those things. Here's, here's, let me me pitch you uh, just being able to have a Bible reading plan, because if you don't have a Bible reading plan, uh, you will have never come across this verse. And so I was reading it, and all of a sudden, I was like, what is this? This is a crazy Uh, This is a crazy verse. I've got to know more information about this, but it's a single verse, and it tells the very short story of a guy named Shamgar. 
Shamgar. I know if you're like looking for baby names, you just write that in the corner there. Shamgar, right? Maybe it'll come back around. Maybe those old names, you know, they're coming back. Maybe Shamgar will be little, you know, little Shamgar. I'm just holding it there. What a cute name. Um, not so much, but we get to have the story of Shamgar today and we get to hear what this is all about. And this is a, this is a fascinating thing um, for us to look at Judges 3 verse 31. So here it is. You get it? All right. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. That's it. That's our text for today. That's, that's what we're going to focus our time on. And I know that you're like, are you serious, Keith? Or is this like a, a birthday joke? No, we're going to look at Shamgar. After Ehud came, Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, he too saved Israel. I know, like, if you were like me, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to know more information. Um, doesn't it just scream for more information? I, please tell me how this happened. How did, how did Shamgar, the ox goad killer, just get one verse in this? I need, I need some more information about this. Who was counting um, was this over the course of his life? How was this measured? Did anyone help? I just, I want to know more information, but we don't have any more information. But we do have some context clues to be able to understand this incredible story and to try to figure out what it looks, now, looks like. Now, I want to really clearly help us to understand that as we look into the text, the easiest thing to do is to personalize this. For us to, to be Shamgar and for us to, to have an ox code, what we're going to look at is the fact that this illustrates these biblical principles. And that's how we're going to glean from this and we're going to get into this. And so we're not going to try to personalize it, but we're going to try to look at the biblical principles and how Shamgar's life illustrates some things that really will help you and help me to be able to know how do we operate when the world is messed up and we don't have anything that we're ready for. So this is what we get. Um, we get this. Now, I want us to get a little bit of uh, just a few details that are going to be really key for us to understand this. And the details are actually going to be more words than the verse, um, but I want to give you some background. So um, number one is uh, Anath was the name of a Canaanite god. So this is really key for us when we begin to recognize that this, um, this background that he, he has is not a Jewish background. So likely he wasn't a Jewish individual. Um, he, he wasn't a, a Jewish guy. He was somebody who was um, basically out of another uh, lineage or uh, another country. So this is an interesting thing. Now, the Philistines, another, another group um, known for being fierce and brutal, um, were occupying, that were an occupying enemy force in the land. So this is uh, key for us because basically they had this place where it was kind of, there was kind of a siege around this and they had, uh, where they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't do anything. Um, they basically had this uh, basically occupying force all around there. So this was, this is a troublesome, difficult time. Um, not only that is just for clarity, an ox code is a farming instrument, not a weapon. So an ox code um, is one of the most easy to understand, uh, you know, farm implements because it goads oxes. So if you, uh, if you think about, a, they are mostly agrarian, um, they use these oxen to be able to uh, have productivity in the land and to be able to get the productivity out of the oxen, they had an ox goad. Now, what an ox goad is, is a stick with a point. A stick with a point. So uh, I was gonna illustrate that for you, um, but I thought in your mind, you could probably conjure 
a stick with a point. Now, sometimes this was wood, sometimes it was uh, metal at the end of this, but it was a, just for clarity, stick with a point. And so this is what um, obviously Shamgar used. And then I just think that we just need to recognize that 600 is a lot. Um, and so we put all this together, and this is a crazy story about Shamgar and his ox goad. And so as we get into this, I think we need to understand uh, just, just a few things. And I'm just going to give you a few observations uh, in this. So number one was Shamgar. He knew who he was. Number two, he took what he had. Number three, he did what he could. Now, you might be saying those are the most ridiculous observations I've ever seen you give, Keith, um, that he, he knew who he was, he took what he had, he did what he could. Um, but <laughs> I would agree with you. But I think it's really key for us to be able to take this and be able to understand how this begins to apply in our lives um, because I think this is profound as it, as, it, as it really helps us to be able to understand how do we begin to live our life in sometimes a messed up world. So here's Shamgar. He knew who he was, he took what he had, he did what he could, and we're gonna, how, we're gonna figure out how does this apply to you and I in our life. So number one, he knew who he was. The, the key part in this is that Shamgar, um, it says at the end, he too saved Israel. Probably what was clear in that, that, that word too is, is put in there because, um, and, and commentators say it might be that the only, re I mean the reason he has one verse is it was a pretty big deal but he was actually not a Jewish person. Now, he didn't have a Jewish background, and so this is, you know, this is a Jewish book about a Jewish people and talking about really the, the history of this and being able to show how God moves. And so in this moment, we have something really strange happen that somebody with some sort of an outsider um, position comes in and he does something of such significance that they use the phrase, he saved Israel. Now, the reason, again, it is, just doesn't get a whole lot of airtime might be because he was, his, his history, his, his lineage was tied to not a Jewish lineage in, in history, but tied to um, the reference to Canaanite. Um, and in this, this, this clarity about him, who is probably an outsider that saw something significant, saw something wrong, began to have enough passion that drove him from inaction to take drastic action is a profound idea so that he understands who he is. So as someone uh, who is an outsider, he assumed a leadership role for a group of people he may not have had a connection with. This wasn't a formal role. It was, wasn't a formal responsibility. Um, but some, is, some have speculated this is why this is so, there's so little information. But he saw something wrong in the world wrong with the world, and he saw something that caused him to have enough passion to be drawn to action. And so he begins to say, hey, there's this group of people, they're doing something, this is wrong, I've got to, I've got to take action towards this, and I've got to do something. There seemed to be a clear sense that he believed that something wasn't right, and it wasn't because he was obligated to do so to the people. He just saw something and it began to spark something in here. He followed his passion without waiting on a position. I think this is a really key phrase for us. We follow our passion without waiting on a position. Oftentimes we wait on all these things to be right instead of just saying, I see this thing, I'm going to respond in this way. And so for us, as we begin to ask, okay, how does this apply to us? If you are a follower of Jesus, meaning if you have given your life and you've committed to Jesus, if you've opened your hands and said, Jesus, you are Lord, here's what the text tells us, that you and I have been given a new heart. 
that that new heart begins to help us to have new eyes and we begin to see the world as God sees the world and we begin to look around us and here's what Jesus helped his disciples pray. He says this, um, on earth um, in uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So when we begin to think about this, this phrase that he's helping them to see that the things on earth are ultimately connected to the things of heaven. When we begin to have a heart that's connected to our heavenly father, we begin to see the world and we begin to see some things and those things begin to, to create a dissonance in us. And we begin to say, that's not the way it should be. That is not what heaven on earth begins to look like. And we begin to have eyes that begin to see the world as God sees the world. And we begin to see that there's something significant that causes to go from inaction to action. So our passions begin to, to fuel our action for this and we don't wait on a position. So in this, this is what is key for us because when we begin to operate in this way, it begins to push us into a place where we begin to operate in a sense of purpose. Mark Sayers uses this um, illustration to talk about basically three buckets that we have that are ultimately related to our happiness. One of those is this idea of this, um, this, this phrase of uh, personal freedom, this idea of personal freedom. And that is a part of really what we're what ultimately we're driven towards. Um, and the other thing is uh, purpose. And the other one is community. So these three things kind of make up these three buckets. And what he says is this, that in our culture, we have an overflowing personal freedom bucket. That the idea of personal freedom is now the thing that is the dominant force that we are pursuing. And that everything about our autonomy and our personal um, unique choices, like this is, this is really uh, what drives the world around us. And the difficulty is that these other two buckets are neglected, the purpose bucket and the community bucket. And what happens is this, because our, over, because our personal freedom bucket overflows and our purpose and community um, buckets are empty, we keep trying to get more out of the personal freedom bucket and neglect the purpose and the community thing. And here's what I want us to see is this, that when we see God's, God's eyes, Here's what happens, that God empowers people who sees what he sees to take what they have and to do more than they expect. This is this idea that we begin to have God's eyes and we begin to see this and it begins to develop the purpose in our life and it begins to show in us what we're aiming for and what our life can be counted towards. And this is, this is huge as we begin to see this because God, um, God shows us um, really and ignites our passions where we begin to see this distance between what it should be and what it is. And I'll tell you my personal moment for this. Um, I've had a few of them, but as we think about um, the history of Resonate, and we think about Resonate's birthday, um, one of the things that was most significant for me was being in a stadium at, at Washington State University and being in this place where I saw all of these college students. And in that moment, it wasn't like I cognitively um, didn't understand what was going on, but there was a moment where I looked around and I saw all the lostness and there was something in my heart that broke. There was something in me that says, we've got to do something about this. There's too much lostness. There's too much power in the gospel. We've got to figure out a way by which we begin to take the power of the gospel and begin to in infuse it into this lostness so that we could see the transformation of lives. And this is the beginning of God stirring this idea of creating a, a collegiate church and to be able to do this on college campuses because there was this moment where I began to see 
see something I never saw before, but it was the eyes of the Lord that began to see. Do you see the world as I see the world, Keith? Because all around there are people who are not following me, who are not thriving in their life, who ultimately will be banished from my sight for all eternity if someone doesn't tell them about the sacrifice of my son, Jesus Christ. And so we have these things, and each and every one of us, we begin to see what the world is around us. God is not looking for worthy people. God is looking for available people. And Shamgar was someone who was available. Even though he didn't fit into the, into the correct um, place, he took action when others did not. And his action um, and the passion that he saw, it was bigger than his doubt. And so Shamgar could have said, these aren't my people, this is not my problem. But he began to saw that this is, see that this is an issue and he saw an ox goad and he took action. So number two, not only did he know who he was, but he took what he had. He took what he had. And in this, he didn't wait. Shamgar didn't wait for a sword. He didn't wait for an appropriate tool of battle. He didn't wait until he had a shield. He didn't wait until he had something proper. He took what he had. What he had was made for goading oxes. It was made for some agrarian task. But he saw this thing, and even though it wasn't made for the task, he began to have an imagination that saw something that it could be used for that was bigger than even the purpose was intended. What happens is when we begin to look for things, we begin to see things differently than we've ever seen before, that our passion within us begins to allow us to see the world around us differently, begins to help us see our things differently. He sees an ox goad and he says, you know, I'm pretty good with this. I'm pretty good at goading the oxes. I think I could goad more than an ox. And that same moment happens with us when we see something in us in a brand new way. So you have this skill you have this capacity, you have this talent, and maybe it's been pretty helpful in your life, pretty useful in your life, but what if that thing given to you isn't just for you? What if that thing is to be used for something bigger? Now, if we were to have a Jewish antiquities museum or like a Jewish Smithsonian, and we were to be able to, you know, they were to say, hey, right after this happened, we've got to have that ox code, right? And so we'd have the Shamgar room, and there wouldn't be much in it, um, not a whole lot of signage, um, but there would be the ox goad, the famous ox goad, um, the, the Philistine slayer, you know? And uh, this would have been that thing where this would have been so clear, not because of its capacity to goad oxes, but because it was used for something much bigger. I have a friend um, named Ray, and Ray was a college athlete at the University of Texas. He went to the University of Texas not just to play baseball, but ultimately because it was academically challenging and, the, and he got a finance degree in that. Um, from the University of Texas, he continued his career as a pitcher and he pitched for, um, he pitched for the Yankees in their minor league system. Well, that, that happened until he had an injury that ended his pitching career. And then he went to the marketplace and he took a job at a, uh, at a finance uh, organization. And so this finance uh, company was one that he began to grow and we began to escalate in. And as he began to engage in this, he began to realize that it wasn't just being a good pitcher, but he's been gifted in the ability to see potential that maybe other people couldn't see. And so along in his career, um, it was early in his career, he saw something and began to work on something that had enormous potential that he could see, but potentially other people couldn't see. And so he works on this and he finally presents it to his bosses. And, um, and they give the, the go towards this. 
and ultimately he orchestrates the biggest deal in the history of this company. And, um, and it, was a, it was a massive moment that he used his gifts to be able to do something significant in that way. So he continues to, to work towards the company, but along the way, um, there's a boss that, uh, that begins to not just have a passion for finance, but has a passion for the Word of God. And he begins to interact with, with Ray, and he begins to not only teach him how to, uh, the ways of business, how to do the ways of finance, but ultimately helping him to understand the ways of Jesus and how to study the Bible. And they begin to study the Bible regularly, and they begin to, to, to have not just a mentoring relationship in the world of the marketplace, but have a mentoring and discipleship relationship in the ways of Jesus. And this allowed um, Ray's faith and allowed Ray, the depth of Ray's belief um, to be able to be deep, deepened significantly all the way till as he began to progress, he began to realize that it might not be just to climb the corporate ladder that God has gifted him in this way, but it might be for a bigger purpose. And so Ray quits his job at the finance uh, company and he does what is kind of a crazy move. And instead of going just to another finance company, instead of something, starting something for himself, he goes and works for a mission board. He goes and works for the North American Mission Board, specifically in the department for church planting called Sin Network, in helping to create an opportunity to manage some of the investments, the kingdom investments, that were ultimately finances and resources that were given in order to have kingdom fruit. So as he begins to do this, he begins to use those same gifts and skills that allowed him to succeed in the marketplace, but now he's using that for the kingdom. Now, ultimately, he's taking and not just seeking his way, but he's seeking the kingdom of God first. And in this, as he begins to make this, um, you know, as being, begins to see God do significant things, he begins to have an idea of what it would look like for um, these resources, not just to be financial investments, but to be kingdom investments, and to be able to do that by purchasing homes across the north, uh, across the uh, the U.S. They were used not just as financial investments, but investment in the kingdom of God to allow church planters to have a place where they could live as they are trained to go out and plant churches. And so he begins to put all of this together. And again, much like the previous plan, he takes and presents a an outlandish plan of what it would look like to be able to see something that no one else could see and a way to do something that no one else was doing on a scale that no one else was doing it at. And in this, over the last few years, there have been houses across the United States that church planters have lived in. And this has allowed them to accelerate their pathway to training and do so in a way that's easy for them to be deployed to the field. In fact, if you were to go across, you'd find all these houses and those houses are, are not just across the nation, but they're in Pullman, Washington, and they're in Moscow, Idaho. Because as Ray came and heard about Resonate Church and began to believe in what we were doing to see the fruit of what God has done, this allowed his gift and what he was really good at to become a blessing to us. And so we have church planters that have, have lived in these houses that have been able to have a blessing from this, all because... A guy said, you know what, I'm not going to continue down the path. I'm going to take what I have and use it for something significant. I'm going to take this and begin to have a broader view of what I could use this for the kingdom and not just for my own good. And this is profound for us. 
that when we begin to see the world as God sees it, as it allows us to see ourselves as God sees us and allows us to begin to say, what would it look like for, uh, for God to use me in a way that goes beyond the things that I could see, that God takes and allows me to see what he sees so he could use what he's given me to do something significant in the world around us. I want you to know that what is that, that you and I have these things, that God has gifted this thing, that what's your equivalent of the ox code? What's that thing that you could begin to say, man, I'm, I'm really good with this. Maybe I don't just use this for my own good, but I use this for something bigger than myself, that I use this for the kingdom of God to do something significant, that I don't just do this to advance my career, but to advance the kingdom of God forward in this way. What is your ox code? And how can this be used to serve something greater than yourself. Each and every one of you has something. Each and every one of you has been gifted by your heavenly father in a unique way to be able to do something that he wants to take and expand so much bigger. Take what you have. So he, he knew who he was. He used, uh, used what he had. Number three, he did what he could. This is, this is where I think it's fascinating because Shamgar takes, takes action. Now, what happens is Shamgar, um, he kills 600 Philistines who had laid siege to the country. And I really want to clearly say in this moment that as we begin to look at this, we don't mix up the principles here. What I'm not saying in any way is that we celebrate violence and we celebrate murder, however justified. I do not believe that the end justifies the means. What we have to do here is not see the principle as a reversion to violence to be able to get something, but to be able to understand that the principle is to do something, to take action, to move from words to behaviors. And so what Shamgar did is he took action. He didn't talk about something. He didn't raise awareness. He actually did something. The dude decided to do something. And I think this is key for us because I think that right now, um, because there's so many options, there's so many things out there that I want to challenge us um, to, to take action in many ways, to, to let our passions determine our purpose and to allow that to not wait on a position. For us to be able to say, what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God and to be able to use that as the way by which we get motivated? Um, the, the term Phobo, um, the fear of better options, is one of those things that we begin to say, what if there's something better that comes along? What if there's something better that comes along? What if there's another opportunity? Um, and, and what it does is it takes and it doesn't allow us to create. It doesn't allow us to put our soul and our life into something. It, doesn't, it, it allows us to simply see the world through the lens of consumerism, to be able to say, I'm just going to wait on something better to come to me. And so I want to say to you, um, in everything, begin to move towards action. Find someone to marry, and they don't have to be perfect because neither one of you are perfect. Um, don't worry about chemistry because you're, all, you're both going to change as, as you begin to mature. As you think about uh, the perfect job, don't wait on the perfect job because the perfect job doesn't exist. Don't wait on the perfect church because the perfect church doesn't exist. We're waiting for things to get right instead of just throwing um, our, our passion into making things right. We're expecting someone to create something for us instead of realizing that the very image within us, the very image of God is beckoning us to create something for others. You throw yourself into discovering the purpose of your life. Don't confuse success with significance. Do things like 
like that, that you don't like for a while so that you can begin to have character that begins to develop perseverance that allows you to walk through difficult times. You can have an easy life or a meaningful life. I want us to get this, that sometimes it's hard, but you can't have both. Your easy life becomes much harder the longer you live with a purpose that doesn't go beyond your personal happiness. See, the promise of Jesus is this, is if you point your passion towards his kingdom, you're going to find him and to find his power. It might not be in your triumph, it might be in your sacrifice, but when you open your hands and say, Jesus, you can have this, I promise it won't be boring. So right now, there's something for you to do that is significant in the kingdom of God. There's something that God has given you Shemgar got fed up with something, the fact that the Philistines had everything basically on siege. And he said, There's, it's time to do something about this. So my question is for you. What is it time for you to do something about? What is it that is a passion of yours that needs to emerge into an action? Is it time to have that conversation with a friend about the truth of eternity? Is it time to actualize that idea to meet needs for the people around you? Is it time for you to at least give that big idea a shot? Is it time to dream about what God can use you for? Is it time for you to say, I want to do something remarkable. I want you to know that in the history of my life, it's littered with moments of failure over and over and over. And the only thing that I can say I'm successful in is just trying again is just being able to say, I'm going to pick up my head, I'm going to keep going, because there's something in front of me that beckons me forward. See, Shamgar, it could have been like the rest of the Jews that sat around and saying, this is really terrible. There's a problem. There is an issue here. Let's, let's keep talking about it, but let's not do anything about it. And so in this, this could just be a, just a motivational speech for us to have some sort of inspirational moment. But here's the thing that drives us, that for us, someone gave their life so there could be a spark of a new heart that allows you to embrace a new passion that you have empowered by the Holy Spirit. So just do something, just do something. The first step to figuring out who you're meant to be and what you're meant to do is to take action. And I know that there's so many opportunities that we can get paralyzed. So be on the move and God will direct you to where he wants your hand to go. And I think that oftentimes we can say, hey, God, what's your will? And what I've learned about in my life is about God's will is that it starts with a yes and it ends with a plan. And oftentimes we want to start with a plan and end with a choice. But God doesn't open your eyes to how he's going to use his mighty power in your life simply for you to be able to have this for your consideration, but to demand your participation in this. And so as we begin to think through the choice in front of us, there's, there's, there's basically two kinds of people. There's the people that seize the opportunity and there's the people that make excuses. And I think that we look at Shamgar and we begin to recognize he was a guy who seized the opportunity in front of him. So here's what God does. God doesn't um, take and just say, this will be whatever it is, but God gives you clarity. 
We are called to own our space and bring heaven to earth. He's given you unique skills, talents, and gifts and placed you in a particular space, equipped you with the Holy Spirit to empower you to his purpose. And he expects us to take action and join him in his mission. So as we think about this, do you know who you are? You are a child of God with eyes to see the world as he sees it. Do you know what you have? You have God-given passions, gifts, and abilities. Do you know, uh, are you doing what you can? Are you are empowered by his mission and by his spirit, to his mission, by his spirit in you. And let those be truths that sink into our lives. And I think this is an, an amazing thing for us to be able to see a need, to be able to do something about it. Maybe you're in a town and you're by yourself and you're like, what should I do? And you can start a watch party and you can begin to say, there's something that needs to be done. And you can begin to gather people as much as possible by your local policies. And you can begin to do something and make something happen. And maybe it'll fail, but at least you'll move towards the kingdom of God. And maybe there's a need that you begin to see eyes and you begin to, to, to move towards this. And you begin to take action, begin to say, what has God gifted me that I can begin to take action towards? And you may be able to see something. Here's what I, here's what I want to see. Here's what I long to see in the next. 13 years in our church is our social media blown up with stories of people who understand who they are, who take what they have, and they do what they can. And we get to celebrate all the various manifestations of what that looks like as we're all so different. So in this, as we think about how all this begins to tie back to the gospel, that last phrase says this, he too saved Israel. And that phrase ultimately is connected to a moment that happens down the road where the ultimate Savior of Israel comes. And he doesn't come taking lives, but giving his own life. He doesn't come to, to have retribution, but to give grace. And what Jesus does is this, instead of taking lives, he gives his own life freely that ultimately his death would conquer death to be able to allow us to have life through our heavenly Father. And in this, we get to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we get to embrace the sacrifice and the truth of living in his world as he lives so that we can begin to see the world as he sees it, and that we don't see the world as something to consume, but something to redeem. And that's my prayer for us that we wouldn't simply see the world as something to consume, to be able to manipulate towards our benefit, but for us to be able to say we've been given all that we need, and now we begin to see the world as something to redeem. And I hope that your heart begins to routinely get broken and you begin to find purpose as you discover the things that you've been given in a way that fits the kingdom of God and allows you to have an amazing moment to be able to experience His power through you. And so here we get to see this. We get to see Shamgar, who shows us that we are to know who we are in Jesus, to take what we've been given by Jesus, and we can do what we can for Jesus. And so in this moment where we get to celebrate God's faithfulness for 13 years, we go back to the very beginning, and we begin to see these people that simply said, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to start a church. We just know that someone's got to do something. And that's the same kind of spirit that I hope begins to continue to um, just just kind of wash over us that we begin to see the world around us and we see the world as Shamgar saw the world that he saw he was he did what he could or he took what he had and he did what he could and that's my prayer for us as we begin to move forward can I pray that over us real quick God I ask that you would take and you would give us your eyes to see the world Lord um, 
Above all else, give us passion, Lord, and don't let that passion be limited and waiting till we get into a position. Lord, let us see the things that you've given us, Lord, and, and understand that those are just not for our benefit, but for the kingdom of God. And Lord, help us to be able to understand um, that it's up to us to take action. Lord, we pray that we would experience your power and your Holy Spirit as we begin to see things across our network, across our collection of churches, um, really show how powerful you want to move in our midst. We ask all this to be so in your holy name. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.